Help support The Candid Frame in bringing you awesome conversations with great photographers. You can do this by contributing as little as $2 a month to our Patreon campaign. That modest donation helps us to bring a quality show to you every week. Contribute today by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. You're familiar with that feeling you get when you make a really good photograph. I'm not talking about a shot that is more luck than skill. I'm talking about when you make a photograph with intent and purpose. You saw it, and you knew what you wanted even before you depressed the shutter release button. When you pull off that shot, you know you've accomplished something. The sharing of that image, whether online or in a print, provides you another opportunity to share that moment. You want to have someone else to experience what you felt when you made the photograph. But it doesn't always turn out that way. And the lack of enthusiasm and appreciation can be really disheartening. It hurts. That's what photographer Kate T. Parker felt when an exhibition of her photographs of her daughters failed to garner much appreciation or any sales. She knew that there was something special about those images, but the reaction still stung. I got down on myself, but not for very long. I, and then I just, honestly, I just got pissed. I was like, you know what? I, I, I still think that there's something important about these images. I still think that there's a message here. And at that point, it wasn't like this fully fleshed out about what we talked about earlier about um you know, be yourself and and pursue your passions. It wasn't there yet. It was more about these girls are being celebrated by their mom as a photographer and they are not what you expect. I just, there wasn't a lot of pictures that I saw as a photographer of young girls being wild and being free and and unapologetic and uh, emotional. And so I took a couple, probably like 10 images and and then a little paragraph about them. And I sent it out to like two blogs that I followed. And just with like a Dropbox to some of the images. And then those blogs posted it and then a couple more posted it. And then it just sort of went viral. It was, it sort of ended up everywhere. The project that was inspired by those initial photographs became Strong is the New Pretty, a series of portraits of young girls of varying ages and ethnicities from all over the country. The project not only became a best-selling book, but also garnered attention from media, including the Huffington Post, Vogue, New York Magazine, and Good Morning America. The logistics and planning behind such a big project are many, but sometimes the most difficult thing to do is decide which photographs make the final cut. One of the main things that I've learned is that for me, I need to have other people involved with the selection of images because I will pull and claw my way for the most technically proficient image, not the strongest image. Because I'm like, oh, no, his foot is cut off. We can't show that image or his fingertip is is not you know in frame. And everybody's like, but look, his face is amazing. Why? You know, and I'm like, oh, I forget. Like, I'm I'm worried about criticism as a photographer not necessarily sometimes putting the best, most like emotional and, and arresting images forward. So um, 
that's for me that that was a big learning lesson that like nobody's go. I mean, somebody might, but I haven't heard it, but no, but I, I shouldn't be worried about, I should be thinking about my audience as the kids that I'm hoping to inspire, not the photographers I'm looking to impress, I guess. We'll talk to Kate about how giving herself permission to shoot in her own way freed her to become a professional photographer and how her project is impacting young girls everywhere. And later, I'll share how I reacted to the tsunami of new product announcements over the past few weeks. Welcome to The Candid Frame. Well, uh, Kate, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's um, I'm really pleased to have a chance to talk with you again. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. You know, the, the title of your of your book strongest and new pretties is it's a it's a great title first off but it's really you know uh, 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 really fascinating to think about you know what strength is especially when it comes to young kids and in this case girls and and part of what i get from looking through the book and and looking at the images on your website is this whole idea that that in terms of defining strength part of it at least from my take and you can tell me whether you, you agree with this or not, is this idea of being comfortable with who you are and having the confidence to be able to believe in that and act on that. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the way that you sort of define the strength that you see exhibited by all the girls that you photograph? Yeah, and that's exactly it, because um, strength exhibits itself in so many different ways, but the common thread in all of the girls that I shot and that I admire and that I was inspired by was that they were confident enough to be themselves and to pursue the passions that they particularly liked, not necessarily what the crowd liked. It's really, yeah, it's that strength of character and that confidence in self that we tend to lose, especially women as and girls as we, as we get older or go through puberty. That's something that that really should be celebrated more. So that's what that was what I was trying to do. Yeah, you you photograph a lot of the girls doing stuff that they really love to do, that they have a passion about. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't help but think that if a if a child or has something that they're that they love doing, something that challenges them, something that allows them to experience failure and yet the opportunity to rise up and be able to overcome failure. That, that confidence and that strength that we're talking about, it, it provides the means for, by which to manifest itself and reinforce itself. The, the choice to photograph girls doing what they love, was that part of, was that informed largely by the awareness that th- these kids who are doing stuff like this do have that sort of strength? Or was there a more sort of practical reason for photographing them while they do things that they love to do? Well, I think you, I think it honestly, it's both for me. And as I started shooting more and more, I realized that when I would shoot girls doing the things that they loved, they were at their most confident, which is where I wanted them. And they Mm -hmm. were the most comfortable in front of a camera when they were doing something that they were competent at and that they were good at and that they had invested time in. So that those were the kind of girls and that that was the slice of time that I wanted to capture girls in because I wanted girls, other girls to see girls just like them investing themselves in something and investing themselves in a passion and that you could see their strength and their confidence came a lot from that. 
it didn't come from outside sources. It didn't come from boys or their looks or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's something that they had taken time. And for me, as I, I growing up, it was soccer and I played sports my whole life. And I got a lot of, learned a lot of lessons and learned really a lot of confidence through athletics. But I mean, that's not for everybody. So I wanted to show really sort of the like wide range of things that, that girls could do. And that you, you know, if maybe it opened your mind a little bit to something that, that girls didn't, didn't know, or, or, Oh, I'd like to try that. Or she's doing that. I can do that. So did you know immediately when you, when you began the project that that's, that you wanted to f- photograph the girls while they were doing something that they love? Was that mm-hmm. from the very beginning part of the, the, the idea? That was, if I wasn't photographing a moment, I, I just happened to see, luckily, you know, cause I'm, I'm a mom and I have two girls. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I would be, you know, I coach their soccer when I was shooting this project. So I would see moments that I would be like, Oh, this is amazing. And I just always have my camera with me. So, and my, the girls would be here at our house playing and playing in the mud or doing, you know, just being themselves. So they're not necessarily doing the thing they love the most, but they are being their true selves. The girls I had access to kind of 24 seven, I didn't do that necessarily, but the girls that I would have a specific time frame with, I would, I would find out what they're, what I would say, like, what is your favorite thing to do? What do you love to do the most? And then we would try to shoot that the best we could. So when you dialogue with these girls and their, and their families about doing this, was that also a way of being able to sort of greasing the wheels of getting them comfortable with you even before they, even before you started taking photographs? Oh yeah. I mean, definitely. Cause you're, you're already, you're already letting them, do the thing they love the most and that they're they're they feel confident, they feel comfortable. So yeah, it definitely, it lays the groundwork to get images where my subjects would feel comfortable, mm-hmm. which, which is really what I want. I don't want anybody feeling uncomfortable or shy behind the lens or anything like that. So this, it definitely helps to give people who are, are not models, you know, something to do. Yeah. And if you give them that something to do that they are really good at, you're kind of already halfway there. Did, did you still on occasion have to deal with the fact that they weren't professional models, that they weren't really used to having a camera pointed at them? Yeah. And I actually like that better. I feel like you get more real images and more, and, and honestly it makes me work a little bit harder to try and capture moments where you're, you're half the time you're like, you're uncoaching. You're like, no, 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 you don't have to look at me and smile. Don't worry <laughs> about that. You know, yeah. cause I mean, so many so these kids, you know, that's what they've been taught. Look and smile, look and smile. And I'm like, do not worry about looking at the camera. And I would just kind of do it like an action. I would, you know, whatever it was, if they were archer, if they were into archery, I would just have them walk me through what they did. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I would say, do the thing you know, you're going to do, uh, whatever it is. And then I would watch and then I would, ha- I would have them do it again so I could figure out exactly how to shoot it. And also it gives them like a little practice. I'm like, go through, do your thing, play your music, play the piano, you know, do the long jump and then I'll figure out how to shoot it. And you just, you know, there's really no, no wrong actions for them. Mm-hmm. And then it's just me trying to figure out the best way I can to do what I'm supposed to do. Like it's based, that's really it. They're already doing it perfectly. I just have to figure out how to capture it. Yeah. A lot of your shots are shot, you know, on location in environments that they're comfortable with and that they're familiar with that mm-hmm. you weren't. And the, the images, your images are so consistent in terms of their luck. I'm not talking about how you post-process the image, but just the way they're composed, the way that they're, they're lit. 
uh, it's really wonderful. And especially, I know the challenge of trying to create an inconsistent body of work when you have such a wide range of scenarios you have to, to shoot under. So you talk about, you know, getting the girls and their families comfortable with the camera, but in terms of your thinking, in terms of, okay, how do I deal with light? What do I put in front of them? What do I put behind them? How do I use the, you know, the setting and the scene in order to produce this photograph? Tell me about your whole thought process when you finally arrive and you, you know, you only have maybe a finite period of time with which to work with these girls and produce the photographs. Yeah, Yeah, it's really, that's such a good question and and something that, I, because I would say probably 30% of the images were shot before there was a book. There was no idea mm. of, con- of a consistent, of a consistent look of a consistent feel there. were I was just shooting. I was just shooting my kids and their friends, but moving forward, like when I knew I was shooting specifically for a book, uh, it was, it was honestly, that was really difficult to try to not have the shots look very similar. And then also I shoot very horizontally. I don't shoot vertically. I don't like it. I, cause especially with kids, I feel like I want the space that goes wide. I want them mm-hmm. to be able to run around in that space. They're not jumping. You know, there's not that much vertical. So I, it, it was hard. And I, I learned a lot on the first book and I'm actually right. Probably I've shot probably 95% of a, of a book, very similar book, but it's about boys. So I learned, I really learned a lot in the first processing and, and, Honestly, it's like my, what I learned is just to keep it as clean as possible. Everything is clean as possible to shoot plates this time. So I have, if I need, you know, something a little longer or something wider, I, I just don't have to scrap the image. Uh, and by plates, you mean what? So like if I'm shooting a child in the trees, say afterwards, I'll just tell them to leave and I just shoot the trees. So if I need to make it, you know, make it fit a different format, then Uh, I have, I have that. So I can, I can, you know, just place it on a larger background and Photoshop the trees in or Photoshop the wall that I shot them on. Or, um, it's just like little things that I learned in the last go around (laughs) were, it was really helpful to, because I do, it's, I'm glad that you said that because I look back at Strong's New Pretty and I'm like, I'm not quite sure how consistent this is. The blacks and whites are different and, you know, and for now I have, I basically try, I try to remember that it's about the image and it's not about some, you know, it's not and about the faces and the emotion as opposed to like a stylized version of a photo that I, I think would look really cool. It's more about capturing that emotion and personality. Basically. Yeah. What was interesting about the book was when I was looking through it, I really started picking up that the images were not cookie cutter. That mm-hmm. even when it was, a say, a close-up portrait, I couldn't say, oh, you know, that portrait that's a close-up of the face looks just like the one in 14, looks just like the one on page 32. Right? That's good. That's that, Because <laughs> no, I know when I, I fall into that trap of, oh, this works, mm-hmm. let me do it again. Yes. Right. And yeah. when you, you know, when the images aren't collected together in any in, in any form, no one picks up on it. But when you put it within the confines of a book or a portfolio or a website, it becomes glaringly obvious that you're repeating yes. yourself. So it was yeah. really fascinating to look through that, look through your book and going, oh, yeah, it's it's consistent in terms of the quality and the overall look. But in terms of what you were doing with respect to composition, 
what you were doing with expression, what you were doing with body language. I, I, I couldn't say that you were repeating yourself in an obvious way. Does that make sense? No, that's so good. Cause I mean, I definitely have like my crutches of things I love to shoot and mm-hmm. things that I are, are a safe bet that I know are going to look good. But for me, especially with the book projects and these, and these projects, it's really, I, I sort of let the individual dictate more to me than me to them. Yeah. You know, every personality is different. So, you know, uh, uh, one of my favorite shots of like my kids is backlit and jumping and their hair is moving everywhere, you know, yeah. but that's my kid's personality. That's not every kid's personality. So like if they are quiet or they're sort of more, um, of an introvert, then, then we're not going to have, you know, we're not going to have you jumping outside screaming, but we'll, we'll do, you know, it's sort of like letting the individual personalities try to as much as possible to shine through in each image. So I can rely on my crutches and my, um, and sort of my go-tos in a way that is there, but also like just slightly, just slightly changed a little bit to go with whoever that is or whatever, whatever we're shooting or, you know, cause yeah, I definitely, I definitely do have my like, this is going to work and this is easy. Let's get this done. (laughs) The story about how this whole project got started is a fascinating one because it it was propelled by uh, a gallery show that didn't turn out exactly the way you had hoped. Why don't you tell us about that? Oh, sure. I was asked to be part of a gallery show here. I live in Atlanta. It was a really big deal to me. I was really excited. I spent a lot of time culling from like thousands and thousands of images to find 20 that told a story that was consistent, that looked good on a wall that, and then I had them framed and I had them uh, printed and framed, which is expensive for a photographer. And they were part of the show and not one single image sold. Hmm. So (laughs) I, I got down on myself, but not for very long. I, and then I just, honestly, I just got pissed. I was like, (laughs) you know what? I, I, I still think that there's something important about these images. I still think that there's a message here. And at that point, it wasn't like this fully fleshed out about what we talked about earlier about, you know, be yourself and Mm -hmm. and pursue your passions. It wasn't there yet. It was more about these girls are being celebrated by their moms, a photographer, and they are not what you expect. I just, there wasn't a lot of pictures that I saw as a photographer of young girls being wild and being free and, and unapologetic and uh, emotional. And so I took a couple, probably like 10 images and I, and then a little paragraph about them. And I sent it out to like two blogs that I followed and just with like a Dropbox to some of the images. And then those blogs posted it and then a couple more posted it. And then it just sort of went viral. It was, it sort of ended up everywhere, Mm -hmm. which was not my initial my initial like goal. And it was, it was, just, it was a really weird and jarring experience. Cause then, you know, it was on the today show and CNN and all these places. And, and there was all these interpretations of it that were not really honestly accurate or like, it, it was just the images themselves, I thought spoke for themselves, but then people put so much onto it that I was like, Oh, I hadn't thought of that or no, that's not true. Or so from kind of all that attention, um, there was an opportunity through publishers to do, to create a book. And I was like, aha, that's it. I can, I can expand this because people, their initial reactions were, why are these girls angry? And what's wrong with letting your girl be a princess? And I was like, nothing, but I didn't show mm. that in my images. 
you know, if you want to be a princess and you like to dress up, that's totally fine with me. My girls aren't like that. And that's who I was shooting at the time. I wasn't shooting all kinds of girls. So I looked at it, at the book as a, this really amazing opportunity to like expand that small project. Cause it was really just my kids and their friends right, yeah. to all kinds of girls and all kinds of strength. Cause I realized that if I, even if I said it in the interviews, Oh, it's about all kinds of girls. If I didn't show it, people didn't hear it. So I was like, you know what? You're right. I have to show this. So it was a good, it was a good experience to have. And also I felt like it was like a second chance to, to do that, do that project and do that, send the message out there in the way that I really wanted it to be heard and not the way that it was interpreted. Yeah. So it was, it, I was so, I was so thankful. It's fascinating that people looking at these pictures really struck a chord, both mm-hmm. positive and, and negative with respect to what people think girls should look like in photographs. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it just speaks and that, to, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It's like an, an indictment of their daughter who does like pink and does like princesses. If my daughter doesn't. And I was like, no, no, no. And I, I, I was like, no, not at all. That's, but I, but I didn't show it. So I had to show it. So did, did that kind of reaction influence your approach to the images as you started producing more and more photographs with a more diverse group of girls for, for the book? Definitely, because so much of the project, you know, probably, like I said, like 30% was done, that the other 70%, I definitely, I needed more diversity in all kinds of areas. I needed more economic diversity, more geographic diversity, more diversity in the kinds of girls that I was shooting, more diversity in their interests. Because I I wasn't shooting for anything but what was right around me, which is my two little girls who are, you know, athletes and they play sports. And so it was not necessarily a challenge, but it was a challenge to myself to make sure that I captured that. Hey, we've just launched a new Candid Frame email list. The email list and the newsletter will allow us to connect in a way that other social networks haven't done so far. As we expand the content we offer through TCF, it's the best way to keep up with what's happening. So I invite you to sign up for the newsletter, which I'll be using not only to share all the different things we're doing, but also to begin a dialogue between you and me and between everyone else who listens to the show. As a way of thanking you for signing up for the mailing list, we're giving away three ebooks that I've written over the past several years. It's just a small way of saying thank you. You can sign up by clicking on the link in the show notes or click on the tab on the Candor Frame website that reads newsletter. Thank you. So as you expanded outside of, of home, how did you find these girls how did you handle the the logistics of traveling and finding subjects and coordinating and oh it's such it's like my least favorite part of this so much (laughs) (laughs) because like i said i just finished the boys book doing the exact same thing for the boys book and so i shoot commercially so anytime i travel for a commercial job or a speaking engagement i will try to get kids in that city, you know, just cause I'm, you know, as a parent, I don't, I try to, I try to maximize when I travel. So if I'm going to LA to shoot a job, 
I will tack on a day and I will put on social media, you know, looking for boys or girls, whatever, whatever projects I'm shooting for this book. And then I'll put like, you know, information about the book and, um, and then I'll put an email and I'll say, you know, where I'm shooting, what time or, or, or depending on how much time I have, if I can go to them or they can come to me, we'll try to figure something out and I'll try to get two or three in each city, which is great. And then if I, Sometimes I'll like make a special trip to go and just shoot specifically in a city and just lay out a couple, you know, a couple days that I'm like, you know, get 10 kids. So it just depends on how much travel I'm doing for work. Mm-hmm. And then if I can, when I, whenever I can work this, in, work it in. When did the idea for the, for the quotes come in? So we, I think that actually came when, um, when we were making the proposal for the book. So we did, we put together a book proposal because there was, it was a very interesting learning experience, like the process of making and creating a book. There was a, um, an auction where there was, I think there was like 10 publishers that were bidding on the book and you put together a proposal, which is like basically like a book. So all the images that I had, I put together and I was like, this is what I think the book will look like. And then, and then, so we started there. I was like, Oh, we, I wanted the girls voices to be in there. It was not about me. It wasn't about what I thought necessarily. It's about what they thought and what they were doing and what, and how they could inspire the girls that read the book. So it was, it was always there from the beginning of the sort of the genesis of the book project. That's a good position to be in to have bitters because most people dealing with the reverse where they just like, they're just desperate for anyone just to look at the proposal, much less getting yes, all these. Art. I I completely recognize that, <laughs> and my my literary agent is always like, "Your experience with books is not the norm at all." And I and I'm because I'm always like, "Is that normal? Is that normal?" And he's like, "No, none of that is normal." <laughs> but I think, but I'm, but it's I'm so I'm so grateful, and I'm really thankful. And honestly, I'm so thankful to be on. So I, I'm, I'm working on my third book right now. So I'm so thankful to oh, wow. have like the knowledge of the other two behind me to be like, oh, now I know what to expect. And I, now I understand this process and I understand what is coming next. And I understand this deadline and that deadline. And when, you know, what, oh, oh, you want me to go on a book tour? Like now I understand, like okay. I get it. I, it's because it's not. There's not a really like I didn't learn it in photography, you know, so it's it's an interesting it's it's like kind of have my feet in two different worlds. So what, what what would you say is one of the bigger insights that you've had now working on your third book mm-hmm. after the experience of the first two? The, the one of the main things that I've learned is that for me, I need to have other people involved with a selection of images because I will pull and claw my way for the most technically proficient image, not the strongest image. Because I'm like, oh, no, his foot is cut off. We can't show that image. Or his fingertip is is not, you know, in frame. And everybody's like, but look, his face is amazing. Why? You know, and I'm like, oh, I forget. Like, I'm, I'm worried about criticism as a photographer, mm-hmm. not necessarily sometimes putting the best, most emotional and, and arresting images forward. So... That's for me that that was a big learning lesson that like nobody's go. I mean, somebody might, but I haven't heard it, but no, but I, I shouldn't be worried about, I should be thinking about my audience as the kids that I'm hoping to inspire, not the photographers I'm looking to impress, I guess. <laughs> oh, you're speaking to the choir. 
<laughs> I, I go through the same thing. I'll go through this picture and I go, exactly what you said. Oh, I, I hear the criticism. Yes. Right? Yes. And this is yes. like, well, then nothing. But like, then, yeah, how does it make you feel? And you're yeah. like, oh, yes, it makes me feel good or it makes me feel something. It doesn't matter those things. So, so that it's good to have my editors and the people that are not necessarily photographers involved with the with that sort of process. So since you had some several different businesses that were interested in your book, what was the determining factor in you choosing the publisher that you did? Oh, that I really liked that they were a smaller publisher and that they were their sort of bread and butter were gift books. I wanted a book that could be easily gifted to girls and that could be on your coffee table, but it was a beautiful book, but also it was not made to be a $50 coffee table book. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted it more accessible. So I, and I've been really, I'm with Workman Publishing and they, they do beautiful books and I've been very, very happy. Like I feel like for as little as I knew like three or four years ago when I decided to, you know, go with their proposal, I felt, I was like, oh, I like pat myself on the back. Cause it was like, it was a great decision. Like I'm really happy with how the books have turned out and love my editor. And, and I've been really happy there. I found your book uh, and your calendar when I went to the pharmacy. Oh my uh, gosh. I walked in the pharmacy <laughs> and I went, what's this? And I started looking <laughs> through it and they have it prominently displayed on the counter. That's so cool. And I was just like, oh, well, let me write down a note here. And I reached out to you. And I, you know, I don't know if I would have picked up on it otherwise because sometimes I'll go to the bookstore but the mm-hmm. thing is the, the bookstore there's so many books and so it's really yeah. hard to to just figure out where to start so I you know kudos to your publisher for for yes. getting in your your books in sort of unusual places yes they do they they that was also one of the things and I didn't know this my agent told me all like all of this stuff that they have a, an amazing like I forget what it's called, but it's like the market where it's not a bookstore, mm-hmm. you know, like gift stores and, and unexpected places. They're very, very good at that, which I think I think it's just awesome because I don't know that everybody's walking into bookstores anymore. You know, so it's nice to it's nice to find it somewhere else. Yeah. With so many people going to like the Amazon and stuff, there's no real browsing happening. It's kind of like you kind of just go in there knowing what you're looking for. Yes. So you I don't- mean, that's how I shop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was interesting about you is that, you know, as you said, you started photography, photographing your kids. And then at Mm -hmm. some point you decided to try and go professional and do and make a living as a photographer. And I read in one of the interviews, which I thought was really interesting, is that the thing that sort of gave you permission to go professional was discovering that you could shoot the way you preferred to shoot rather than what you had imagined people expected professional photographers to shoot. Mm -hmm. So I I love that, but flesh that out for me. Tell me more about that, that discovery and, and, and how it resulted in you being able to make a living as a photographer. Yeah, it was. And honestly, that's been, so that's been every stage of my career as a photographer is so I, I started shooting and I was like, let me, maybe I can shoot for, for families and maybe somebody would pay me to shoot their family photos. And I was like, not doing it. I don't like, I don't like what I mostly see. And I, I will only put work out there that I, that, that I want people to hire me for. I didn't want mm-hmm. people to hire me for, you know, like a lot of posed images or a lot of, um, you know, just, I, I wanted to shoot the like the life and the connections and the the messiness and the 
imperfections of life. And so I shot a bunch of like free sessions for families and I put it on a website and I was like, if you don't want this, basically like don't hire me. And mm-hmm. th- that worked. And then I did the same thing for weddings. And then I kind of dipped my toe into commercial photography because my background before um, I had kids was in advertising. I, it was the same thing. And people were just hiring me. Like I never showed anything that was, that was not what I wanted to shoot. I mean, obviously like I still shot that sometimes because you sometimes have to do things that, that are not artistically sort of your, I guess, cup of tea, but it's not, it's not really what I am great at. So I'm like, well, just hire somebody else that can do that better than me. Like there's certain things that I'm like, you don't want me to shoot a car. You know, it's not like, I'm not good at that. (laughs) If you want me to shoot the family in the car, that, that I'm good at that. I think it's really just figuring out. It's kind of what I like the whole message of what the books are. It's like figuring out what you're good at, what you like, what you're confident in, and then just doing that. You know, like walking on a commercial set where um, I just recently had a shoot at Disney World and I would and I looked, there was a video, there's video set, uh, like people there, there was talent, there was producers, there was, you know, crowd control. I would take one step forward at Disney World and literally like a hundred people take a step forward. And I was like, I can't, I can't think about this. <laughs> and I would still like, I'm still like, where's the pretty light? All right. Let's do, where's the talent? Let's get them to, you know, like, so it's, it's overwhelming at times, but it's still like when I'm behind the camera, I kind of shut it all out. And I'm like, just get good images. You know how to do that. Don't worry about all this stuff behind you. Just do the thing they hired you to do. And I forget it from time to time. And I get overwhelmed and I get like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know what they want. I don't understand what they want. And I, I work with a team a lot that they'll be like, shake my shoulders and like, they hired you because they liked how you shoot. Just do that. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I forgot. Thank you. <laughs> that is a lesson that I've had to relearn over and over again. Because yeah. it's easy to forget, especially when someone is paying you. Mm-hmm. Then you, you start second guessing what you do as compared to what you think they want or what they are sort of yes. expecting. And it's so easy to do. I mean, I have not shot many weddings, but I'll tell you, the weddings that I've enjoyed shooting are the ones they weren't paying me for. Because yes. I had I had no onus at all, no expectations. Yeah. I could just shoot what I wanted to shoot the way that I wanted to shoot it. And if they weren't happy with the pictures, mm. I don't care. Yeah. This is yeah. what I like to do. And I was doing it in a way that I liked to do. And remembering to do that when it when there is a check yeah. at the end of it is... You know, something, sometimes I have to sort of rewire my brain and go, okay, do it the way you would do it anyway. Yes. Yes. You have to, I think it becomes like anything. It's like muscle memory. The more pressure that you face, you, you have to remember who you are and how you shoot regardless of everything around you, because that's the one thing that you have to offer. Hmm. You know, the ones, you know, you can shoot all of the other things you think they want, but I still think every Every, every set, every time you pick up your camera, still you have to shoot one, you have to shoot one, at least one for you Yeah. because that's, that's sort of, that's how you, I don't know, for me, that's how I started. That's how I want to, I want to continue. But like you just said, there's an, there's still an expectation that the client has. I mean, they Mm -hmm. came because they like your approach. They like your Mm -hmm. sensibility, but 
you know, like, like, like you said, you came from an advertising world. So you completely understand that they have these mood boards. They have these sort of, they, they've just sort of designed this advertising campaign to look a certain way. And, you know, they've invested so much time and money in casting and all of that stuff. So you still have to take that into consideration as well as while you're trying to shoot in a way that is your particular way of shooting. So tell me about that thinking. And if you can give me a specific example, maybe of a recent shoot or how you sort of balanced all of that. Yeah, it's, well, I feel like I appreciate when clients help bring me into the casting process and the location scouting process, because I feel like all of that helps make sure that the end product is something that, that if you're hiring me because you like the look of strong as new, pretty, the book and advertising, um, like a shoot is very hard to recreate that. So if you have me involved in, cause the, the girls in the book are real, the locations are real. Mm-hmm. And when you try to recreate things, um, it's it, a lot of times, especially when there's layers and layers and layers of approval, it ends up looking so cleaned up everything. It doesn't feel real. You miss that. The thing that you loved, it's taken out. Yeah. Um, so I just, I recently just did a shoot for the Girl Scouts, which we were, is awesome. We were shooting the cookie boxes, which I was like, I was dying. I was like, this is iconic. This is so cool. So they were amazing. And they had me involved in casting and locations. And the thing that was difficult, which I didn't realize until, you know, I mean, obviously I realized before we were shooting, but I never realized looking at the cookie boxes, the sliver of what is actually an image on the cookie boxes yeah. is probably 30% and it's on a diagonal and, or it's, oh yeah, you know, so you're trying to get, it's, it's work. It's trying to be creative in not even in a box <laughs> in, in 30% of a box. So it's, Really, it was really difficult because you want to get all the girls' faces. You want to get their action. You want to get there. You want it to feel real. You want to get pretty light. And you're shooting in, in, and we're shooting into um, layouts. So we see it as it's coming in. You're like, oh, no, that leg is missing. You know, it's just, it's very technical at that point where, you know, a quarter of an inch in your camera and it's completely messed up. You have to freeze kind of where you are. And then the girls are also moving. But I actually like... I like having a little bit of a box to have to be creative in, like literally a box. Um, but I, I don't mind it because it challenges me a little bit. I still, I'm trying to still get the thing that they hired me for yeah. in this tiny little sliver. So um, I feel like when the, a lot of, a lot weighs on who the client is and, and, and how, how much trust they have in you. So when, when you, when I feel that from them, I feel like, oh my gosh, okay, we can, we're working together. We're not working against each other, which really makes for such a, such a nice set. Yeah, man, from starting from just photographing your girls to a big campaign like that, that is quite the journey. It, is. it feels unbelievable every day, yeah. basically. Both commercial <laughs> jobs are so much involved in in those things. Do you work with a a producer who helps to sort of coordinate all the sort of the logistics, the budgets, the schedules and all that? Yes. Yeah. I work, I work with producers that handle all that. And like I, I, some photographers don't, I don't know how they do it, but yeah, no, I have Mm -hmm. an amazing, I work with a bunch of different producers just depending on low, you know, where it is, where we're shooting um, and what, and what we're shooting, like if it's, if it's, you know, if it's kids, I have one producer I'd like to work with. If it's 
you know, a pharmaceutical shoot. I might have a different producer um, that's, you know, worked with real patients before and things like that. So yeah, every, every commercial shoot I, I have, I either, either I will hire a producer or there's, sometimes they're in-house too. Oh, okay. So it just depends. So when you're looking for the producer, what do you look mm-hmm. for and where do you find them? Um, well, I have locally, I have a producer that I work with, Lindsay Lewis, who's amazing. She's here in Atlanta. She knows the crew. Like well, the second that I, I have a job that we're bidding, I call and I explain a little bit about to her to her. And then, um, she knows who I like to work with, like what crew I'd like. She knows that I like to fly in the last possible second and get out the earliest as possible. Just cause she understands, like, it's nice to have somebody that understands that I want to be home as much as possible, you know, and, and, and not like, not like running away from the shoot to say, but like, <laughs> if I, like a lot of people the day after they shoot in LA don't necessarily want to get on a red eye and come home, mm-hmm. but I, they would rather sleep and hang out. And I'm like, no, no, I, I'll go on the red eye. And so like, she just, it's, um, it's nice to have somebody that I, that knows me well and is, and also honestly is like kind and really just really buttoned up, really knows her job well. So yeah. I, I, that took a little while to understand that process for me of like, what is my responsibility? What is their responsibility? What am I in charge of? And what, you know, like I just, I'm, I'm like, over sensitive. I'm always like, am I doing my job right? Am I doing everything I'm supposed to do? And like, I kind of have an idea of like what the roles are now. So I'm like, okay, that's hers. I'll let, I'll let her handle that. Cause it's, you don't want me involved. There's a lot of freedom stuff. to be had <laughs> by, by, uh, delegating. Yes. Yes. It's, it's very, yeah. I remember my first commercial shoot. I was like, I didn't even know what a digital tech was. And I was like, why do I, I've never used this before. What I don't, why do I need somebody checking my images and backing them up? I'll do it later. And like, you know, it's now I'm like a commercial oh, shoot. I'm yeah. like, how, how did, why? I can't believe I felt that. <laughs> <laughs> you get so reliant on like, no, 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 your focus is off. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That's very helpful to find out in the moment yeah. rather than yes. afterwards. <sighs> it's, it's very helpful. <laughs> so when the book got out there and girls started Picking it out, picking it up, and reading it—that must have been quite the experience to hear their reactions to it. Uh, t- mm-hmm. Tell me about that, and do you have like a memorable example of, of of a girl responding to that book? Yeah, it it was so funny because I never had the sort of moment of like sitting down and reading the book to my girls because they knew it already, mm-hmm. and I I was so wrapped up in the process of making it and. Will it sell? And how does it look? And where is it? Where is it being sold? Like all of the sort of business of it that I forgot that it would be on somebody's coffee table or be on somebody's nightstand or that it would really. And the whole goal was to impact girls, but I never thought about the reality of that. And so whenever I and I still get emails like almost daily of people saying, you know, we read this every single night. This is the this is the only book my daughter wants to read Mm. or on the book tour which was really very soon after the book came out, girls would come up to me, uh, you know, at book signings and, and ask how to pronounce a certain girl's name because they, they saw her on this page and then they saw her on another page. They basically memorized the whole book and yeah. they wanted to know how to say their names correctly. And I just, I just couldn't believe that. And I said, honestly, it like makes me tear up so much that, that it impacted girls in honestly, in the way that I dreamed it, it would but I forgot because I was busy <laughs> with the other yeah. part of it. So it's now that I, 
the work of the book is is kind of far behind because it came out like over over a year and a half ago. So I I'm so now I feel like I get to just enjoy that 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 people are enjoying the book, which has been really beautiful. Like I've I'm so so glad that people responded to it the way that I I hoped so. Yeah, because I, I I completely get that little girl who had memorized that book. Oh. Completely get her because. <laughs> I didn't have that experience when I was that age. The first two books that I ever read where I saw myself in the book, it was mm-hmm. Juno Diaz's Drown, and the other oh, one wow. was Raising Fences by Michael Datcher. And both of them I read in my, I think it was early 20s. Oh, and wow. it was the first time I'd ever read anything with life experiences that I recognized on the pages of a book. Oh, wow. And it was just like, oh, my God. And it was it was... You know, it moved me so much. So mm-hmm. I could only imagine what it's like for a 8, 10, 14-year-old girl to mm-hmm. look at these photographs, to read these stories, and to see herself in there. You know, and to see it represented in such uh, a beautiful way that it's affirming. So I think it's an incredible gift that you're giving you know all these all these kids who get to see in the book first the girls and now the the boys in this upcoming book. I mean, it's really wonderful. I mean, it, wonderful is not the right word for it. It's it's much more glowing. But oh no, and it's honestly, I feel like it's it's such a gift that I like. That is my job. Mm-hmm. I can't. I like. I can't believe that I get to do that for my job. Like it feels unfair. Honestly, because I get to meet these kids, yeah. I get to hear about them, I get to photograph them, which I love, and then I get to make it something you know that they hopefully can mean something to them. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like work at all. That's yeah, very good. Yes, <laughs> I, hope that, I hope it. Yeah. I hope it stays that way for a very long time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, my last question, which I ask each guest, is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore, and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? One that I actually shot her and her boys for the boys book is her name is Claire Cassidy. And she ha- she's amazing. She is deaf and her three boys are deaf. And they, the four of them, toured the entire country in an RV by themselves and just would spend time in each, like wherever they wanted to go, they would spend time in, in cities. And um, she, she was, she was just amazing. So when she was in Georgia, I got to meet her and shoot her boys. And it was, I mean, I, I, was, I love her photography. I love her point of view. I love her attitude. And she is really kind of just unapologetically herself. And it comes across in her photos. It's really, I really admire her because she is, she's just a badass and um, really brave and very courageous. Um, so that's Claire Cassidy. She's based in San Francisco but, oh. and she's home now, but was, was kind of all over the place for a while. Oh, I look forward to checking that out. That sounds great. Yeah. Very cool. Oh, thank you so much, Kate. I can't thank you enough. Oh, thank you so much. This is great. Each week, we have a segment on the show where I share thoughts, ideas, and memories that may or may not involve photography. We call it The Last Frame. My wife and I just returned from Paris and London. It was two weeks away from home that was much needed. 
We've experienced some major life events, which have dramatically changed our lives. So this trip provided a little bit of a break from all that and freed us to sleep late, walk aimlessly, and eat way too much chocolate. While there, I wasn't oblivious to the endless product announcements leading up to Photokina. There were new cameras, new lenses, updated software, a huge mirrorless war was declared, and everybody was picking sides and taking no prisoners. Every blogger and YouTuber was in this mad race to get their content online as soon as possible to garner their share of audience. Though I tried to resist it, I have to admit, to being lured in to a lot of that content, curious to discover the one product that would rule them all, at least for this year. But after a while, I got really sick of it. It all became this endless repetition of specifications, features, and super sexy product shots. Few people had actually had any real time with these products, but you wouldn't know that looking at all the online chatter where opinions were as abundant as Halloween candy. Products that likely took years to design and fabricate were praised or criticized only minutes after having been officially announced. It was like a reality TV drama like The Bachelor, where it's all about who will he choose. Except that in this case, there are no steamy kisses, surprise betrayals, and no hot tub. Thankfully, I had a choice. I could sit at my laptop and watch another hour of videos, or I could make photographs on the streets of Paris. Guess which one I chose. But it made me think about all those times when I'm home faced with a similar choice. How many times have I chosen to cuddle up with my laptop to watch yet another video or read another blog entry rather than picking up my camera and going out and make photographs? I mean, I have a lot of excuses as to why I don't always make that choice. Sometimes after working a long day, it's just so much easier to make the lazier choice and just fall back into the cushions of my couch and click away. I make the excuse that I don't want to get in the car or drive or contend with traffic or that there might not be any good light or that I have some things on my to-do list that I could check off if I just decide to work a few more hours after dinner. I realized how weak those excuses are while I was out there making photographs in Paris. I was having so much fun chasing the light, challenging my way of seeing. It was, it was really wonderful. Yes, I know, I was in Paris, but it wasn't the architecture or the food or the wine or the people that inspired me. It was just simply being out there and looking at what the light was doing, the way it would cut between a building and through streets, creating these wonderful plays of contrast between light and dark. The light led me down streets and around corners that I might not have otherwise explored or discovered. I even had the chance to share time with two photographer friends of mine, and we indulged in this mutual appreciation of light and being grateful for doing what we love in one of the most beautiful cities in the world. I'm home now, and all the responsibilities that I left behind, well, they were right there waiting for me. But I'm so glad that this trip 
reminded me that photography is more than just a shiny new camera or likes on Instagram. Photography can be that little push that reminds me that life is meant to be lived. And if while I'm out there, I manage to get a great photo out of it, I win twice. And that's the last frame. Thanks to Kate for spending time with us. To find out more about Kate and her work, visit kateparker.com. And if you order her book or calendar, please use our Amazon affiliate link as we receive a small commission for buying through us. And I'm going to be in New York on the weekend of October 13th, and I'm conducting a small intimate workshop that Saturday. I'm limiting it to only four people. It's a little bit of an experiment that I'm trying, and it should be a whole lot of fun. The workshop is not listed on my site, and you'll only know about it if you are a listener to the show. It's just $399, and if you're interested, email me directly at info at thecandidframe.com. There's just one slot still available, so reach out to me as soon as possible to secure your spot. And I've also released my latest ebook, Lessons from the Street. It's a book in which I share some of my greatest mistakes as a photographer and what I learned from them. It also offers some valuable tips that may help you to avoid or learn from your own. It's just $7 and your purchase helps to support the work that we do here at TCF. You'll find a link to purchase it on the website or in the show notes. And my follow-up to my first book, Chasing the Light, is now becoming available. You can order and download the ebook right now or place a pre-order for the soft cover, which comes out in December. You can place your order now directly from the publisher, Rocky Nook. And when you use the code Pirello40, you will enjoy a 40% discount from the list price. Check out the website and the show notes for the link. And after you read the book, let me know what you think. If you're a fan of The Candid Frame, take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. It helps our ranking, but it also creates awareness of the show. Though it only takes a few minutes, you will be making a huge difference. Take the time to do it today. Thanks to Keenan Perry from the U.S. and Sean Morton and S.P. Tremblay from Canada for their five-star reviews. We're just finishing converting our garage into a studio slash office space. So now I'll have a dedicated space to conduct interviews face-to-face for the show on occasion, which is a big deal to me. And your donations and support are really helping us to do this right. So if you've recently contributed to the show, know that you're really helping us to make this show even better. And I can't thank you enough. You can support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. You help us to meet the cost of production and help us to bring you these episodes every week. You can also make a one-time contribution via PayPal. It's your support that helps us bring you these conversations that you won't hear anywhere else. Do it today. Thanks to John Floyd, Mark Harris, Glenn Sun, and David Huskin for their recent contributions. It's helping us a lot. It was your support that allowed us to create the free Candid Frame app, which is the easiest way to access every episode of the Candid Frame. Available for Apple iOS and Android, you automatically receive the latest episode on your phone or tablet. And you can easily search for episodes based on name or keyword and save your favorite episode for repeated listening. Download it today by clicking on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. 
The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at IbadianX. And this is IbadianX, and this is The Candid Frame.